This morning's scripture lesson, friends, comes from the book of Genesis. Let's feel an Old Testament-y this week. <laughs> Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 11, and then verse 15. Hear now these words from Genesis. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed they were at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be no plowing or harvest. God sent me before you to preserve life for you and a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And then Joseph kissed his brothers and wept upon them. And after all that, his brothers talked with him. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What is happening in this week's scripture? Maybe you recognize some of the names like Pharaoh or Joseph. Maybe you don't recognize any of these people and that's totally okay. We have been dropped in the middle of someone's story. Without any context, the scripture feels very random, right? It's kind of disjointed. We see there's some kind of family reunion happening. A guy named Joseph seems to have been reunited with his brothers. And he's asking them if his dad is still alive. And if his dad is still alive, can you go get him? And his brothers just kind of stare at him <laughs> um, in complete disbelief. And then Joseph mentions some things about a famine and how Joseph is really, really important now compared to like back in the day when his brothers last saw him. Um, my cat's popping in to say hello. <laughs> Joseph tells his brothers that he's really important now and he's going to take care of the whole rest of this family in the midst of a seven year long famine. And with that, all of them hug and they kiss. And finally, his brothers speak to him. In order to understand this very strange reunion, which we were dropped in the middle of, but it seems kind of lovely, um, we have to understand everything that's happened leading up to this moment. So I want to go over what brought Joseph here. And it is a wild story, truly worthy of any soap opera ever to air on TV. Joseph is the next to the last child 
born in a family with 12 sons. We're pretty sure there's some sisters, but we don't really get a lot about them because women are not super valued in this time or this context. And the sons are really the focus and the important part of the lineage in this time period. Um, we know that Joseph is born to Jacob, who's a very important figure. He is the son of um, the descendant of Abraham. That's where I was going with that. He's the descendant of Abraham. Jacob is. Jacob is an important man. He has multiple wives. And while Joseph is one of his last children to be born, he's the firstborn of Jacob and his wife, Rachel. Joseph, from the beginning, is very clearly Jacob's favorite. He's born in Jacob's old age as he's towards the end of a lot of children, right? And the scripture tells us that Joseph is indeed most loved by his father. Older than him, a lot of his other brothers are jealous of him. They're all, all of them are Joseph half-brothers. They're born to his father's other wives. And they see very clearly that their father has a preference for this child, who not only is younger than them, but who is born from another woman than their mother. It creates a deep amount of tension and animosity between Joseph and all of his older brothers. And Joseph sort of seems blissfully unaware of it. Um, you can assume it's his youth, it's his personality, but we don't get any context or content that tells us Joseph is like deeply bothered by this. Things really reach a boiling point in their lives when Joseph is 17 and his father presents him with this incredibly beautiful coat. Perhaps you've seen the like classic animated movie. I want to say it came out like 92, 99-ish, somewhere in that realm, 90s. Um, Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors. <laughs> if not, that is your post-church homework. Um, if you've seen it, you should go rewatch it. I love it. <laughs> it gives me like hmm, flashbacks to my childhood watching that. Um, but following this gift of this really lavish Coat of Many Colors rainbow coat, Joseph tells his brother that he's been having dreams. And in those dreams, the moon and the stars and even his older brothers themselves bow down to him. They're beneath him. And if you're wondering, if your older siblings already dislike you, getting a super fancy coat like none of them have from your dad and then telling them that you've been dreaming about them bowing down to you is not the way to make <laughs> like you more. Joseph seems a little bit oblivious to that, but it happens. And at this point, his brothers have completely had it with him. They are over their 17-year-old favored brother. So one day, Jacob instructs Joseph to go visit his brothers while they're out tending sheep. And then his brothers see an opportunity. They have Joseph alone, out away from the family, away from their father, away from his mother. They have him by themselves, and they have an opportunity for revenge. So what they do is they strip Joseph of his coat, and they throw him in a pit. And a short while later, they see a caravan of people coming by. And so they decide to sell Joseph to this caravan of traders. They throw their own brother 
into a pit. They take the beloved coat their father gave their brother and then they sell him into slavery. This is like an intense, intense moment of revenge, but I think it also shows how much disdain his brothers had for them. Eventually, Joseph lands in Egypt, which we hear about today in our scripture, where he's sold to one of Pharaoh's ministers. And in this time period, we won't go everything that happens. But essentially, it's just wild, which tracks with the story and with Joseph's life, right? Joseph goes through this whole series of events that are just like wild. Um, and I'm gonna let you find that out for yourself, what that is, read about it, spark notes it, cheat and watch the movie. The movie might not have everything in it, but check it out if you wanna get filled in on the drama that we're not gonna touch today. The point is, Joseph goes through some things and eventually he actually finds himself in favor to Pharaoh. Incredibly enough, he finds himself second to only Pharaoh. And he does this with his ability to interpret dreams, which is wild because his dreams are the very thing that contributed to getting him here in the first place. And now there's what helped him climb the ladder in Egypt to the point of being put in charge of readying the nation for the impending famine. The country, it seems to have entered a dry spell. There's issues with crop rotations. All the agricultural things have happened. And they've realized that they're in for a seven year long famine. And somebody has to deal with regulating food distribution and the people who come for help and the citizens and Pharaoh decides that's gonna be Joseph. Meanwhile, Jacob, Joseph's family, they're still living where they were and they're living without Joseph. The crazy part about all of this is that Jacob doesn't know the truth of what happened to Joseph. After selling him into slavery, the brothers come home with Joseph's coat, which they dipped into the blood of an animal. And they tell their father that Joseph is dead. So this whole time, Jacob has believed that Joseph is dead and his son in truth is alive. The rest of his sons have lied to him and they're the reason he separated from the son that he loved most. His family is feeling the effects of this famine. And so Jacob sends his sons all to Egypt to buy food and talk to the man handling the famine coordination, not knowing it's his undead son. He sends all of his other sons to go speak to this guy, none of them knowing this is the brother who they cast out. The man who now has the power over what's gonna happen to your family is the man who you cast out of your family. Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers when they reach him and they don't recognize him. Perhaps it's because he looks much different than his young 17 year old self, but perhaps it's because they sold him into slavery and what slave ever gains this much power? Perhaps it's denial and ignorance, time, whatever. They don't realize this is their brother. And therefore Joseph decides he's gonna seize this opportunity. He decides to observe 
whether or not his brothers have regrets about the evil they committed, whether or not they've changed their hearts. And so he uses this whole succession of really dramatic tests, which I won't go into like finite detail about, but he tests his brother's determination to save the youngest brother, the only one younger than Joseph named Benjamin. He tests whether or not they would too sell Benjamin from the plot that he set up. And he sees that his brothers act differently this time around. That they have changed their hearts, that they've grown as people, that they have a devotion towards Benjamin that they weren't capable of having back in the day. He decides that they've changed who they are as people, that they have regrets, that they've learned from the past. And therefore he reveals his identity to them and it astonishes them. And that, friends, is where we are today. That's the scripture we read, is the moment at which they've passed the test Joseph put them through, and he says, here I am. I'm actually the brother that you got rid of all those years ago. This reunion that we're dropped in the middle of today is not just any reunion. It's the reunion of Joseph, this incredibly beloved child, to parents who thought he was dead, who are about to learn he's long alive, and who are about to learn the truth of their other children. But it's also the reunion of Joseph to the brothers who hated him, who were completely jealous, who threw him into a pit, who took his precious coat, and who sold him into slavery. This is the story of a family reunion that is really heavy and complicated, right? This isn't just a couple years separated by unfortunate circumstances. This is a story of deep pain and hurt and jealousy and competitiveness and so, so many things. It's the story of a father perhaps loving one child so intensely, the other children feel driven to act in this way. What do we do with all of this then, right? Like what's the, what's the message from God in all of this? Knowing more about Joseph's story and about his brothers, what do we do with this reunion? Realizing in the end, Joseph forgives them. That there's love again in this family. This story can be really frustrating for a lot of us. Because how does Joseph forgive this. How do you forgive anyone who engages in the behavior like his brothers have behaved in, much less forgive them when they're related to you? They aren't people who's just done this evil randomly. They are your brothers. You share the same DNA. You were raised together. Maybe you have different mothers, but you know them intimately and they knew you intimately and they did this. I think the scripture does a lot and that is it challenges where we think love can begin and end it tells us that reconciliation is possible in even the worst of circumstances although his brothers wronged him joseph after a bit of like making their lives miserable and feeling out who they were now seeks reconciliation with them 
having seen that they have regrets, that they've learned, that they've changed, that they're no longer the jealous young men and boys who hurt him, Joseph chooses to heal his relationship with his brothers before they even ask for it. He offers them forgiveness and love and promises that he's going to take care of his family in the midst of this famine, even though they did not care well for him. He sees that they're different and he says, I'm going to care for you now. The second thing I think the scripture tells us is that while this deep level of reconciliation is possible, the work of healing rifts is possible. The work of creating a way forward and the midst of deep hurt and pain is possible. Reconciliation is never something that can happen blindly. Love and forgiveness are things that do not happen blindly. Reconciliation requires us facing the truth, no matter how difficult it is or how painful it might be. Joseph tells his brothers, come closer to me. And they come closer and he says, I am your brother that you sold into Egypt. And do not be distressed or angry because you sold me here, but God is sending me to preserve life before you. Joseph tells the truth of who they were to them. He says, you sold me into slavery. You did that. He holds them in to accountability. He holds them accountable for their actions. He observes them before he reveals the truth of who he is. He confronts them with the evil they committed and he names that they have changed. Realizing the effects of the famine, which he names to them, is happening. Joseph commits to taking care of them. Not only does Joseph, Joseph tell the truth of what happened in the past and who they were, he tells the truth of who they are now, and he tells the truth of the famine. He just lays it all out. There's no fluffiness. There's no lying. There's no, let's pretend that didn't happen. Joseph says, all of this happened. All of it. And then they move forward. He tells the truth, and he sees that they've changed. I think really at the heart of what the scripture tells us is that the work of God is work which heals rifts, which creates a way forward and makes reconciliation possible. Joseph names truth. He holds his brothers accountable and he finds a way to keep moving forward in love with them. He realizes that as they are changed people, he can coexist with them. He can love them. He can care for them. In today's world, this is the part that we often miss. We want reconciliation without the work of facing or dealing with the truth. We want reconciliation without the truth of the past or the present or the future, right? We just want to say that didn't happen and it's over. How many times have we done that in history? We just want to say that's gone. It's done. We don't do the work to change and to become better people and to move forward. We don't face the sin and remove it. We just say, well, that sin happened and it's gone. 
If we don't heal it, it's still there. If we don't become better, the sin happens again. Joseph's family is not brought back together until his brothers have become capable of loving him well. He doesn't open his arms to them until he's sure they're safe to be embraced by. It is here that they meet when all that work has been done that they are healed together, right? Yes, Joseph's brothers are forgiven, but there is a universal healing in this story. His brothers are forgiven. His parents regain a child that they have no doubt been mourning. Joseph regains a family. While he has built up a new life for himself, there has to be a deep healing for him. Not only in facing his brothers and having the power to have closure with them, but also to be reunited with the members of his family who never hurt him, at least not like they did. There's a universal healing that happens in this. Joseph's brothers did their part in acknowledging their mistreatment of Joseph, and they honor his request to bring his father forward. Joseph then welcomes them in. He kisses them, and for the first time perhaps ever, they talk. They really talk. Their relationship at this moment surely isn't perfect, and I'm sure there's going to be more healing to be done, but this is the beginning of it. It's the beginning of reconciliation and healing. And in all of this, Joseph praises God. Joseph recognizes that God has had a hand in this. He said, he says, you, you sold me into slavery, but God, God took that and made something beautiful. God put me in a place where now I can forgive you and I can care for you. Joseph doesn't say God intended for me to be an enslaved person, but he says God took this horrible thing and made it good for me. God healed me. God gave me the ability to make meaning out of this all. He recognizes God's role in his life and he recognizes that the transformation of his brother's hearts and his own ability to find space to love and forgive them after what they did, all of that is only capable through God because that kind of love and the work of reconciliation is holy. It is holy ground, it is holy space, it is holy work, and it only works when God is present. When God is invited to do this work with us. Only God can take such brokenness, such broken human beings, such a broken situation of famine and hatred and loss and strange family dynamics and bring it together for wholeness again. That, friends, is the good news of today. That's the good news of Joseph's story. It's that reconciliation is what we're called into. As godly people, it is what we're called into. And it takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes changing who we are. 
It takes truth telling, it takes bravery, and most importantly, it takes God. It takes letting God be the center of every moment and praising God when love and healing comes into our life when we never ever thought it could. Amen.